0: from skirt to scrubs. I'm Charlotte and I'm Alicia and we are two medical students trying to figure out our place in medicine by looking to the past and to current events to try and understand the impact that they have on us as women in medicine and as women in general.
1: Yes, and today we are talking about a topic that maybe you know about, maybe you know nothing about, but it is a topic that I enjoy learning about and I'm excited to share with you. Yay. So today's topic is a discussion and analysis of sick care on plantations in the antebellum period, which is before and during the Civil War. And specifically, we're going to be talking about the enslaved Black women who were the unspoken leaders of antebellum sick care. This is was a topic I studied a lot in college in one of my women's studies classes. Um, it was actually the class I took with Dr. Diana Lewis, who was our guest on episode four. Ooh. Yeah, which if you haven't checked out yet, you should. You can learn about Anarka, Betsy, Lucy, and the historical roots of modern gynecology. So it's definitely worth checking out if you haven't already.
0: Great yeah, episode. I love that episode.
1: But before we get into everything, Shar, do you want to tell me what you know or maybe don't know or what you're curious about learning about? I truly don't know anything
0: about this. I know that it's a topic you are super interested in and you've been really excited about, but I've never learned it. I did not even know what it was before you told me about it. I'm excited to learn about who is like doing the care, I guess, like who is providing yeah. health care. Um, cause based on like the discussion question you sent to me earlier and stuff, I just, I don't know. It kind of like gave clue to it, but I was just like, I have no idea what's about to happen.
1: <laughs> Great. Well, I, yeah, like you said, I'm really excited to talk about this because plantation sick care was incredibly dynamic. And you can imagine that depending on whose point of view you're looking at it from, you would see Completely different stories. So, today we're going to unpack some of those different perspectives. So, let's get into it. Let's go. Okay. So, a lot of the topics that we choose to cover for our episodes have a much broader history than we are able to give. And so, we just give an overview of each. But with Mm -hmm. this topic, that is especially true. Enslaved people have such a rich history, and a lot of it has been studied and is remembered, but a lot of it has also been cast aside or forgotten. And I just want to acknowledge and honor that before beginning here, because what I'm going to share is just a snippet from a larger understanding of the topic of plantation sick care and the women that made it happen. My main source for this episode is a book by Sharla Fett titled. Working Cures, Healing, Health, and Power on Southern Slave Plantations. And if you want to learn more about this topic, you should definitely check out this book because I read a lot of it and that's how I was informed on this episode. So to begin, I just want to set up a framework for our understanding and analysis of this topic. We could look at the plantation and plantation sick care from the eyes of the slaveholders, who we know viewed enslaved people as property. We could look at it from a medical history lens, thinking about the medical therapies practiced at a certain point in time. Or we could look at it from the lens of the power in social relations of healing, which was how the enslaved likely saw sick care. Hmm. And Charla Fett in her book argues that we need to do this in order to start understanding the political and cultural importance of Black doctoring traditions is looking at the social relations of healing. Okay. And so there are three broad influences on African-American doctoring traditions. The first is African healing practices, which of course is not a monolith, but rather a combination of tribal medicine of the Igbo, Yoruba, Bambara, Congo, and so many more tribes, as well as South American and Caribbean influences like Haitian voodoo and Brazilian candomblé and other tribal cultures and what they incorporate. Then, so that's the first realm is like, okay, tribal medicine. Mm -hmm. Then there's the influence of Native American medicine because both Europeans and Africans Came to America and then they drew from plant knowledge of indigenous people. Um, and then, so we talked about African traditions, we talked about Native American traditions, and then can you guess the last thing that might have also influenced African doctoring practices, Shar? Um, I was, my first thoughts were like American South
0: and I mean, that's where they were, so it doesn't really count. But um, like, something to do with, like, working in the fields was my first thought, that's where, like, a lot of songs come from in America, and like, in Black American culture
1: and things like that, so. Not a bad guess. Not a bad guess. It is a hard, it's a hard question, but it's actually just European doctoring tradition, like, uh, European doctoring practices. Sense. Yeah, because, like, both Europeans and Africans borrowed from each other in colonial cities and towns and plantations, and so there was just a lot of trading that happened. Mm-hmm. But it's honestly kind of funny to think about the state that the medical field was in in Antebellum America because we know that things were definitely a hot mess for a while. Just like thinking about the state of medical education itself. So bad. I know, terrible. There's no way that medical doctors were at their peak at all. But apparently in the first half of the 1800s, medical doctors were undergoing a quote crisis in professional identity because of quote therapeutic confusion in the profession. What What does that mean? I don't know. It sounds like they also don't know what that means. They're confused. Still, even though these medical doctors at the time didn't know anything really, they would visit plantations because Despite the fact that enslaved peoples were viewed as inferior, both biologically and mentally, they were valuable assets on the plantation. Mm -hmm. And actually, I just learned this in my research, but enslaved workers were measured by their soundness, which as a concept in its most basic sense is the health of a slave measured in their capacity for labor, reproduction. And willingness to submit to authority at the time of sale. So, a large part of the role of Southern doctors was to return enslaved workers to a quote unquote sound state. That was like their purpose. Hmm. And a pretty substantial part of many Southern doctors' incomes was actually treating slaves. So, if someone got sick, the first line of care, like if anyone, if, uh, if the enslaved person got sick on the plantation, the first line of care was women who worked on the plantation, which I'm going to talk about more. But after them was an overseer. Who is kind of like the manager, but like a terrible, terrible manager. Most overseers okay. were like bull, yeah. but yeah. So like an overseer or the slaveholder got involved. So they or the mistress of the plantation, so like the slaveholder's like wife, they would treat the patient. Usually after writing to a doctor to get advice, but then if the patient didn't get better, the doctor would come visit the plantation. But also their version of healthcare was purging, like vomiting, sweating, using diuretics, and bleeding through cupping and leeches and lances. So obviously these enslaved people weren't getting better and would prefer to be treated by healers in their communities. So most of the sick care was done by these older enslaved women who grew herbs, made medicines, cared for the sick, prepared the dead for burial and attended births in both black and white households across the South. And this is a quote from a healer. Her name is Ma Stevens. That's what her name was in the book. And I thought I would read it because it fit well here. So she said, quote, I just always seem to know how to work cures and make medicine. Folks were always coming to me and asking me to cure some illness." When I was young and went out washing, I didn't have much time to cure folks. Then, when I get too old to work steady, I I stay home and mix up all kinds of charms and magic remedies. (laughs) Yeah. And I just thought that was really poignant because it wasn't only medicines and physical care that these women provided their patients, but a level of spiritual care as well, because they (laughs) would combine tribal practices with christian or even like some muslim practices depending on where those enslaved people were originally from because for example right. like senegal and gambia and other western african countries they practice islam and so if they came over from there okay. a lot of islam is what shaped early slave communities oh i didn't know that at all but Very fascinating. And so with all this talk of spirituality and voodoo and magic, what do you think some of the healers might have been viewed as at the time?
0: They were probably viewed as witches
1: or like crazy. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. Yes. Witches. Um, Some of their work was seen as witchcraft or could be seen as witchcraft. Mm -hmm. But because they were so important to the plantation, they were allowed to continue practicing their healing arts. Yeah. So these women whom slaveholders called nurses, doctresses, midwives, um, they did their doctoring work on top of agricultural labor if they were not very old because usually if they were yeah. older they were just doing this but if they were like younger their children they would work out in the fields they would care for their families and they would be doing like plantation sick care saying their schedule was packed they are so busy all the time they are wonder women i it's truly incredible Um, But these women were obviously different from white doctors in basically every way, Um, but definitely in terms of literal medical practices. But Mm -hmm. why do you think their roles were different from white doctors? Like, of course, they had different roles themselves, but what about the way that they approached care do you think was probably very different? I mean, I'm sure
0: that the Like enslaved women providing care were a lot more focused on caring for people, like as if they're Mm -hmm. people, you know, like they're actually Mm -hmm. trying to care for them in all the capacities that they need compared to I could see the white doctors coming in at that time and caring for like what you said, the health was like labor, reproduction, like authority, like that. Those are like the categories they're probably focused on, which leaves out a lot of personal health compared to someone if someone's in your community caring for you, which is what these mm-hmm. enslaved women would be, they're going to be able to like actually connect with a lot more than someone outside of your community.
1: Yes, absolutely. And that is 100% true. So because they actually cared about the people they were treating and weren't just treating them as like a means to an end or a source of income, these women provided much better care. But though they had this amazing medical knowledge and they were the main caregivers on plantations. They obviously weren't regarded with the same level of professionalism of white male doctors, nor interestingly enough, were they seen as having the same maternal authority as white women. To white people, they were just seen as these. I don't know what they were seen as. It's this huge dichotomy which we're going to talk about a little bit later but i just i still don't understand but in their communities like you were saying they weren't seen as menial workers but as having skill in relation to this collective need spiritual revelation and all this like amazing teachings from older generations they were able to carry that down and so they were just truly fundamental to plantation life, they were very, very important. Mm-hmm. So, what did some of this sick care involve? Do you have any ideas? I mean, by chance, I would say it probably involved like general
0: illnesses that people just come by. But I also feel like a mm-hmm. lot of stuff would be caring for based on how those enslaved peoples were treated on that plantation. So, if yeah, it was like a particularly bad plantation where they were like abused and just had a lot or lack of food access, things like that. Where you're going to inherently be more sick or just have more wound care and stuff. And I, I could see the sick, the plantation sick care being more geared towards that.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's so true. And I talk a little bit about that in a bit, but something I wanted to just like give a broad overview of is like, what is their work? I mentioned it before, but I'll say it again now. So, so their work was based off of just general, like women's work at the time. So they didn't just watch over the sick, but they did a variety of other things as well. For example, oftentimes medicines didn't come in prepackaged pills. And so if these women got like a medication from the overseer or from the mistress of the plantation to administer to one of their patients they would often have to measure mix and cook up these medicines for their patients they Mm. also had to take care of their diets so they would make plain foods and like special gruel for them have you ever heard of gruel gruel? (laughs) no it sounds like it
0: it sounds like a combination of "gru" from the spickle of me and like (laughs) like a like a troll's name from frozen or something. Like, I don't know. Oh my
1: gosh. No, I, I, I think I've heard of gruel before, but it's mostly like grits porridge kind of thing. My mom likes to make grits sometimes anyway, unrelated, but yeah. So they would like make food for these patients And besides the food, they also had to clean the instruments and the containers that Mm -hmm. the patients would use. And they would have to bathe their patients and wash the bedclothes and really just get in there in the nitty gritty day to day. And if the patients didn't get better and the white doctor had to be called in, I mean, we know what antebellum sick care involved. Mm -hmm. So the patients were highly unlikely to honestly get better if they were being purged out or bled out because they were sick from like exhaustion
0: i was going to say it just makes it worse like we're going to take a really exhausted yeah. fatigued person and release their blood from their body yeah.
1: it's like you know what you need anemia <laughs> that's what you need like what?
0: but the um, the mixing and the like the grinding to make medicine sounds really fun like i've always wanted to do that like, wouldn't it be fun to just, like, take a bunch of plants and, like, make
1: medicine? All of my patients would die, Charlotte. Everyone <laughs> would be knocked here. One. Actually, so now that we're talking about, like, medicinal plants and stuff, I was wondering if you could think of any diseases, like, official, actual diseases, um, that people might have been suffering from on these plantations.
0: Um... I don't know. Would be ravaging the population, honestly. What could it? I mean, it, I feel like it's like infectious diseases. Is it not? Yeah, it is an infectious. What's currently
1: disease? rav? What's currently ravaging the population? COVID nineteen. <laughs> is it a coronavirus? <laughs> it's not a coronavirus, but is like it, general respiratory a diseases. Virus?
0: Yeah. Okay. Kind
1: of. Yeah. So people died of just general respiratory diseases tuberculosis mm. typhoid fever tuberculosis um, a lot of a great yeah. answer yeah for that's me. Okay. That's not great right. to have um <laughs> no no also diarrheal diseases like cholera diphtheria scarlet Ugh. fever measles um and then also just like less identified categories but they generally fall under fever so malaria yellow fever Mm-hmm. Dropsy, which I was like, what the heck is dropsy? And I, I looked it up it. and it's kind of it's it's like uh diseases that cause edema or fluid retention. Ew. So like congestive heart failure, things like that. Yeah. Um also some nervous system diseases, digestive diseases, and worms, which makes Ew. a lot of sense. I mean, yeah, yeah, it's not fun. Alicia, would you still be my friend if I turned into a worm? <laughs> would you still host the podcast I don't know. Let's... <laughs> It would be a one-sided conversation. I'd be like, Charlotte, how do you feel about medical sick care? And you'd be like, ah. (laughs) Some of these women who were treating these diseases and conditions started learning, or most of them, honestly, started learning how to care for people from the time they were children. So daughters would follow their mothers and get oral instruction or oral teachings, um, since most enslaved people couldn't read. Though there are some written recipes and some things like that that are archived in history. Most of it was oral tradition. And so I thought it'd be kind of fun. We were talking about medicinal plants. I thought it'd be kind of fun to share some of the remedies that they'd give people. Ooh, I'm excited. Yeah. So to treat a fever, uh, one of the treatments was to take fever grass and boil it into a tea. I don't know what fever grass what? is,
0: but I mean, they would makes boil sense. it into
1: a tea. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. For chills, they would take elder tree twigs and dogwood berries and eat them or make them into a tea. Um, Some mothers would tie esofetida bags around the necks of their children to ward off sickness. Do you, have you ever heard of esofetida? No, but I'm
0: not surprised by, that's like what they were doing, like ancient Egypt's like put stuff around children's necks to ward off illness.
1: Yeah. I mean, people still wear like the evil eye, you know, yeah. like the hamsa. Yeah. Yeah. People just wear like amlets and... Yeah. Yeah. Well, so it's kind of funny because I... So asafetida is this medicinal plant root that people like make into powder and it has this really pungent smell. And it's just kind of funny because we use asafatita a lot in Indian cooking. Like we put it mm-hmm. in our dals and stuff, which is like lentil soup. But in Hindi, it's called hing. And then I looked at the bottle one time. I was like, what the heck is this? And it's a sofatita?" And I was like, what is this? But it's, um, we put it in. This is what my mom told me. So I don't know if this is true, Ooh. but she was like, we put it in stuff because like lentils and legumes and like beans can make you really gassy. So sofatita is supposed to help offset that. Oh, Yeah. And it also helps to like, gives it some kind of flavor, which I really like. So anyway, I just thought that was funny. I was like, yes, warding you off from being gassy. Um, one mother started each day by giving her kids burnt whiskey to promote a long life because enslaved women would actually store herb and bitters, which were like medicinal barks and stuff and like whiskey to Give to their kids as preventative medicine. What does burnt mean in this capacity? Like, I think, well, so the burnt part, I think, I don't think is actually whiskey. I think it was like some kind of medicinal concoction that was hmm. medicinal bark and herbs and things like that that they would concentrate in this liquid and then feed to their kids every morning. Interesting. I wonder if it ever had like alcoholic properties. So, diets. This is also kind of cool. I just think the stuff is neat. So diets for enslaved people were obviously very different and depended on what was made available to them at that time or at that plantation or whatever. But actually, along the Middle Passage, like when African peoples were being taken from Africa, they mm-hmm. brought some plant seeds with them. On these ships. And so that's how we have plants like sesame and yams and okra and black eyed peas. And I love black eyed peas. But I think one of the biggest ironies of plantation sick care is that there is so much emphasis placed on maintaining the property and caring for their slaves because they are investments to these slaveholders. Right. But then they only cause. The slaves that they own pain and harm through the punishments that they put on them like whipping. Mm-hmm. And and so it, it doesn't make sense to put so much effort into investing in these quote unquote commodities only to harm them in the process. And so it's this dichotomy that doesn't make sense, but I guess it does make sense when you're thinking about things in the context of power and control. But it was just really relevant at the time and I think is something important to consider.
0: Yeah, Yeah. I think it sadly does make sense because they're thinking of these enslaved people as property. You know, like they can't if they can't do their work, then they're going to try to find a way to like improve their health. But I'm sure that they're Messed up minds do not think of the abuse as, like, unhealthy. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's so true. To us, we're like, this obviously is deteriorating someone's health and it's so bad for their body and for their mental state, but there's that's not what they were thinking about
1: either. Like, the people actually inflicting the pain, you know? Like, I think they were, like, two separate things completely. Because I'm also thinking about what Dr. Lewis talked to us about, about the concept of Black bodies seen as vessels, and Mm. not having the same biology as a white body. And so therefore, pain is felt differently. Anatomy is different. Right. Mental health is different, all these things. So yeah, thank you for reminding me of that, because that's true. Mm -hmm. Sadly. So we've talked a bit about the role of healers in caring for the sick and the elderly. But can you think of any other role that was key for them at the time? Childbirth. Babies. Yeah. Babies. Because there are lots of babies and you need people to take care of the babies when they're born. I know. Exactly. And so we call that midwifery, but it wasn't exactly the same kind of midwifery then as it is now. But basically, these women would act as midwives and travel between black and white households in the area to care for The children and to birth different children, and they were in it doing the work no one wanted to do. And yet again, they were viewed by white slaveholders as lacking a maternal feeling for their babies and Mm -hmm. for the sick people that they were caring for. They had so much care for, honestly, because they were in those communities, like we were talking about. And they're going out of their way to do it, and they have other stuff to do. Yeah. Mm. And Black mothers in general were viewed as neglectful and cold when in reality, the context of that fact that they had to care for other white children in addition to their own children is just overlooked. And not specifically relating to enslaved healers, but enslaved mothers, they were made. So I don't know if you have heard of this or you knew this existed, but enslaved mothers were made to get pregnant around the same time as their white mistresses in order to breastfeed the white baby. I did not know that. Yeah, so they would like get pregnant at the same time so that they would be able to lactate And Mm -hmm. like, feed the white mistress's baby. And of course, you can only make so much milk as a pregnant mom, or like, say, what happens to their baby? Exactly. And so, on top of the fact that this woman is probably malnourished and tired, she does not have the milk supply for two babies. Yeah. So, their babies would have high mortality rates. Mm -hmm. And then they were viewed as neglectful and cold towards their children but it's a consequence of the time in which they lived and the circumstances under which they lived and the oppression. Yeah. So that's like very important to parse out and just verbalize. Mm. And this is where I'm like, medicine was just trash at this point, because even from a racist physician's perspective, if Moms were encouraged to have kids because that was more profitable. Objectively from a slaveholder point of view, it was more profitable for a mom to have more babies. But then they also had to feed a whole other baby. Like then why did the doctors not at any point say we need to take care of this woman mm-hmm. because she needs to feed all the babies? Like it doesn't with her own body. Right. With her own body. Yeah. And so all of this, all of this is just a snippet into the life on the plantation for enslaved women. They were valued for their work, yet completely unimportant. Mm-hmm. They were necessary for plantation life, yet worked to the bone. And they were used for their caregiving, yet seen as heinous, unkind, and deceitful. But underlying all of those dichotomies is a certain truth that only by looking closely at the everyday world of enslaved sufferers and healers can we understand the incredible legacy that they have imparted us. And it is this remarkable legacy. But if there's only one point that I have to leave you all with from this history that I want you to take away, it's that African Americans emerged from enslavement with, on one hand, a storehouse of healing knowledge, and on the other hand, a clear comprehension and understanding of the harmful potential of white medical care. Mm-hmm. And this is a key point, I think, in understanding where we're going from here. And so I'll end the history portion with a quote from Charlotte Fett. And she says, in the hands of ordinary but extraordinary Black men and women, acts of healing became arts of resistance, inscribing the vital link between personal health and collective freedom. I like and that. that is that for the history. Super interesting. Yay. I know, right? Looking forward to talking about it. Let's do it. So Charlotte, do you want to share any initial thoughts with me or what is going through your mind? I liked your comparison at the
0: end of like the dichotomy between the like good way that plantation, like sick care providers were viewed and the bad way, then like back and forth. Mm -hmm. I think it just says a lot about the time and like what they're faced. And then another thing that I thought was interesting right at the end is talking about just like how these enslaved women were mothers but then they were seen as uncaring even though they were doing everything in their power to care for others and it just made me think of how i think all different communities are viewed now is without considering outside reasoning there's a lot of stereotyping that goes into communities in the way people perceive them without thinking about historical reasoning behind why a community yeah. is the way it is or different social determinants of health that affect just their everyday life and just like all these things that go into it. And if you don't think about the entire picture, how it just can completely obscure the view of someone to this warped image that isn't even close to who they actually are. I think that's a really big issue just in like regular society today, that if you don't know anything about social determinants of health or anything like that, then you're not going to understand. And this was like a perfect example of that. I thought, especially it's like almost like the root of a lot of issues today too, is these women are going out of their way to care for others. And then they're being told that they like suck as mothers and, yeah. you know, like, and this is just the beginning of, I don't know. It's just the beginning of like black history in the Americas, at least is already starting down this horrible path of how people perceive them. So I just thought that was super interesting because it's so relevant to medical education now is thinking about those things. And it was medicine itself who was like portraying those ideas on people before.
1: I was also thinking about that in writing this episode. And then also in sharing this information with you was, it just reminds me that so much of what we know today is rooted in history. And that's why it's so important to learn about the historical aspects of how we've come to be. But Mm -hmm. it's also easy to ignore or chalk up to how things always have been.
0: Which is not true either.
1: Like society changes all the time. Nothing's
0: ever been how it's always been. Unless you're in the most privileged position, then it's probably always going to be the same because you're always going to have the same resources at the top. But it actually is not like that for most of the population (laughs) throughout
1: history. Yeah. Okay. So based on what we talked about, can you think of any influences that enslaved women's doctoring practices have had on medicine today or maybe any practices today that reminded you of their healing work? Um so in terms of how they apply to today, I would say like the
0: holistic view of looking at a patient and mm-hmm. like caring for a patient, I don't know, like always being there and caring for them throughout their life, like being there for birth and slaves a lot of times stay in the plantation for a long time and just caring for them throughout that period is mm-hmm. very related to like primary care now and longitudinal care. And then also just taking like a holistic approach to medicine, which I th- feel yeah. like is where medicine's trying to go now because I think we talked about it in previous episodes, medicine's trying to bring in people of different views and backgrounds to not have such a stringent idea of how you should care for people and just looking at it from all sides. That's becoming like a huge thing in medicine now,
1: yeah, I think that's so true, and it, medicine has been so biomedical for so long and continues to be, mm-hmm. and I think we are only now starting to at least in my experience, which is limited, but i mm-hmm. I feel like there has been like a big shift at least in medical education and then towards providing a more holistic idea of like what is a patient, who is my patient? They're a person first, right. And so I think that's really valuable. The thing I was thinking about first is the spirituality aspect of things and being a spiritual healer. And that ties into like being holistic and treating Mm -hmm. the person as a human. And I loved that you brought in this like longitudinal care aspect, but because that's so true and it's a huge part of like family medicine and having this continued relationship with the people that you're caring for is so important. And the other thing I was thinking about was actually oral traditions and how even Mm -hmm. though a lot of what we learn as healthcare providers is through books and learning and lecture, a lot of it is also through experience and through learning from more seasoned physicians and residents and people who are further along than us. Mm -hmm. There's so much, unwritten knowledge that you gain from having someone just tell you something and it's not something you're ever going to write down. Yeah. I think I see that a lot
0: in school now. And I think one, if you could say that there's good things to take away from the pandemic is one good thing was access to knowledge. I think is a lot greater now through zoom where people before would like webinars were not that popular. And now like you can go to a webinar across the country at a different med school if you wanted to, if they're advertising it and there's just a lot of access to learn. Like I know my med school has basically like weekly alumni like seminars where they come and talk about their specialty and just like their career and experiences. And you can learn like so much from them. And all you have to do is sit down and listen and eat your dinner while doing it.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: But those are some of my favorite things to do. It's just so much more and so much more personal. And I feel like I actually understand a little bit more about what it means to be a doctor just by listening to someone talk as compared to reading about procedure.
1: Yeah, reading is boring. Listening is fun. That's why podcasts are fun. (laughs) That's why podcasts are great. But no, so I actually wanted to do a fun little like our discussions are Feminist Corner, but I kind of have stopped bringing in these feminist. There's only so many feminist terms in the world. <laughs> I know, I know. and <laughs> And I think also understanding feminism as like an analytical tool is more valuable than listing off a term just for us to learn. But yeah. today I am throwing it back to the original Feminist Corner and Ooh. introducing a... Theory, an idea that I think is really valuable and very cool. So it is called hood feminism. You've probably heard of it. I have. It is this idea that feminism as a standard concept has failed to take into account certain populations and failed to consider issues affecting women in these populations. So Mickey Kendall, who is the author of Hood Feminism Notes from Women That a Movement Forgot, says in her book, that we have to expand the range of what is considered a feminist issue. And so this is actually a quote from her that I think really sums up hood feminism really nicely. She says, hood feminism is lived feminism. It's the women who do the work, who are present in communities and making sure that their kids have school and at least somewhat accessible medical care. It's great to wanna be a CEO or to be president But you should also probably make sure that your neighbors have enough food to eat and their homes are safe. Mm -hmm. And I just think that's so valuable because hood feminism, an important concept within it or an important idea that you have to remember is that it stresses that some women oppress other women, like Mm -hmm. cis women oppress trans women, straight women can oppress lesbian women, white women can oppress women of color and do. And women aren't a monolith, so the idea of feminism can't be a monolith either. Mm -hmm. With this in mind, I wanted to tie back hood feminism and this concept to what we're talking about. So white slaveholding women had some role in caring for the sick on a plantation, but they were in a place of privileged subordination because of where they existed in the social strata of antebellum. America and the Mm -hmm. antebellum South. And so, what are some roles that you think white female healthcare providers have now in the health of Black patients and their families? That's a loaded question. I just asked like maybe five questions (laughs) in that one. In one. But I'd love to hear your thoughts.
0: I was just thinking about like white women providers caring beside like enslaved black women basically is what I was seeing in my head. And I kept seeing it like in two views of that people in antebellum America, something was up in their brains and they just saw enslaved peoples as so different. It was like, so out of their scope of mind, you know, to even consider them as equal beings. So there's that part that I think really played into the oppression of course. But then I really wonder how it was like treating like as a woman beside a woman, I guess, because I feel like women are able to bond or like appreciate each other much more than men are like to other men, if that makes sense, and experiencing difficulties. And it's easier to bond with other women compared to men. Men's lives like don't have kind of the same path medically as each other. So they're not going to have that like bonding side to them. So I was just wondering what that would have been like in terms of providing and how those two like dynamics would have played into each other in how much they supported or did not support the women like enslaved women on the plantations. I don't know if you have any insight on that, but that's what I was thinking. No, that's a
1: good question. I don't know if I have the most insight, but as you were speaking, something that I was thinking of, is a little bit of pushback in a couple things. Just that in reading this book, something that Fett wanted to emphasize is that there are set strata. It was like, okay, the enslaved, and then like white women, and then like white men, and mm-hmm. so there is like a power dynamic, as we know, exists and existed at the time between like these white mistresses and the enslaved black women. And so I don't think they were women alongside each other. There was definitely a power dynamic. But then that being said, I don't want to speak for every woman. I'm sure that there were um, white mistresses and enslaved women who had probably very positive relationships. I mean, we hear about them and read about them. And we know that through histories and written stories and such, there's Definitely been instances where the bonding experience of being women has brought these people together. Mm-hmm. But I think that also it's almost like, how far does that take you? You know, mm-hmm. like having a good relationship with your white mistress probably helps a certain extent. It might help you in your daily life, but ultimately, is it going to lead to your freedom? Is it going to lead to? You living a better life and your kids being free? I don't know because these white women don't have as much power as the white men. And so I don't know. It's a complicated question. And it is these really strict social hierarchies that's definitely a part of it. And so at the time, I'm not really sure if one could say that having the bonding experience of being women was like enough. Yeah. Oh, not by any means. I just wonder
0: how it played into it, I guess is my thought.
1: Yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. Yeah. Just
0: because I think a lot of times people are able to overcome differences by finding a similarity between them and then building on that. So yeah, I just wondered if that played a role at all. But then in terms of today, I guess for white female providers, in terms of the like Black community, I see it a lot. And the same one that we always talk about of just having like more open conversations and education and being more open minded when discussing healthcare with communities that have been faced with such historical oppression. But even more, I was thinking about kind of like your quote of "it's great to be president or CEO, but there's always people in the background who's already doing the work." and I think that's the same for as women become more prominent in healthcare, it's easy to say like, oh, women are half medical students now and women do this and do that in healthcare and like gaining a greater presence without looking at, okay, who are the women who are gaining so much prestige in healthcare or moving up in the ranks? Is it only white women or is it majority white women or is it a more diverse sect? Does it vary by school? Like there is that issue with... Tulane recently about firing yeah. a black woman because they didn't want to deter white students from coming to school. Like ridiculous things like that still happen. So those are things I think that need to be considered yeah. and really take a step back from and say, okay, there has been improvement in medicine, but has there really been improvement in all the people who are involved in this? And that's like on someone like myself, who's a white woman, to step back and say, like, we need to look at everyone in the room here, too. And I know, like, I'm involved in a Woman-centered organization. I'm at school, and we had to do that this month. And we, even though like our board is very diverse, like honestly, no one brought up Black yeah. like, History Month until like a week and a half ago, like halfway through the month. And we were like, we messed up. We should have actually done something early in the month about this type of thing. And then we worked to get that done. But it was just something that there's so many other things to focus on about women's health and women medicine, things like that. That you have to just continuously be aware of everyone in across the whole spectrum.
1: Yeah, it does. It kind of, I was also thinking about like this idea of hood feminism versus white feminism. And even though they don't need to be separate, they are inherently different because they mean different things. And I think something about hood feminism that really, really sticks with me is just like the concept of to be a woman and to be enduring is feminism. It's an act of Mm -hmm. resistance itself. And to live another day and to be a mother another day is itself an act of feminism. And I just love that because I'm also, I'm so here for breaking the glass ceiling and for like, you know, fighting the patriarchy and like getting uterus pins and stuff like that. (laughs) But then I'm also like the simple act of getting your child to school
0: Mm -hmm. one day
1: or seeing your family thrive in a moment of just pure joy. That is itself an act of feminism. Mm -hmm. And so I loved, I loved that idea is like the everyday woman, the woman who struggle and like fight. And I think there's just grittiness that comes with that, that I love. And so that's kind of what I, when I was thinking of hood feminism, I was like, honestly, the original hood feminists were these like, enslaved black women who were just like putting in the work day in day out they struggled and they fought and it's it was so hard and it was painful and they lost their lives over this and they deserve to be remembered in this way of of just like fighting for what they Mm -hmm. didn't even want to do but they fought for what they cared for and I love that that is just the most inspiring thing right it's like
0: the idea of when the feminist movement, I mean, you know a lot more about this than me, but like when the feminist movement, I think second wave feminism, if I'm correct with trying to like start working and such more like the idea that there were already women working at the time when there was a movement for women to get jobs, but the women Mm. who were trying to actually start working were more upper class women who would traditionally be able to stay home. So that was something I'm thinking about too. And then I was kind of laughing in my head just now at Like the idea of, you know, it's great to like build up your career, but it's also there's a lot of value in staying where you are and just helping the people around you. And made me think of like the two different sides of medicine, of like academic medicine and more like private practice or like community-based medicine. Cause like, I don't see myself going into academic medicine. And then I know that you do see yourself going into academic medicine, Mm -hmm. like in academic medicine, you're always trying to like build up, which is great, but some people like don't like it. And I don't really care. And then there's like just staying where you are and just being like content with the work you do every day too.
1: It yeah, that is really relevant. And I think honestly this conversation, if anything, has reminded me to remind myself of this and Mm -hmm. of what ambition means and what does it look like? And is it what I tell myself that ambition means because society tells me that this is what it looks like to be an ambitious girl or is my idea of ambition enough? Or what is my idea of ambition?
0: I don't know. Right. Or idea of value too, which is difficult when your life is academics, which is what it is for physicians. I can see why physicians get easily wrapped up without considering black communities and considering other things going on in people's lives. There's a lot of focus towards innovation and moving forward, but ever considering the past and how things already happening right now are affecting patients, not always about how can we better patients' health in the future, which is equally important. But it's like the idea of working upstream versus downstream versus midstream.
1: We could talk about this for hours. (laughs) I know, I know. I'm going to ponder it some more after this. But thank you so much for this lovely conversation. Yes, thank you for bringing a brand new topic to the podcast. Great. So if you like this conversation and you want to hear more, you should subscribe to the podcast on all the apps that you can. All that you listen. <laughs> yes. And um if you want to leave a rating and review, Apple Podcasts is the best place for that. Yeah. And then you can
0: also follow us on social media. We are from Skirts to Scrubs on Instagram and on Facebook. So check us out there. You can also find our website, which is from skirts where we have our show notes. We have our sources. We also have our merch. Highly
1: recommend. Very cute. Um, yeah, check us out. Yes. And as our podcast grows, we are interested in doing more collabs and making bonus content. So if you want to work with us, you know someone who wants to work with us, slide into our DMs, email us, find us pretty much anywhere. Yeah, and lastly, here is to, oh,
0: wait. And lastly, as always, we're going to end it with, um, here is to the women who fought for us to be to where we are today, such as plantation sick care workers, and maybe do the same for those who come after us.
1: Yay! See you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye!